One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Reddy. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. How's it going, buddy? It's going well. We've been blizzardified over here in New York. Oh, I bet it's looking beautiful and crisp before suddenly everyone walks on it and ruins it and makes it a sludgy, horrible mess. Yeah, we're right at the crossover between beautiful, pristine snow and mountains of gray sludge with intersection lakes to trap the unwary. That's the weird thing about New York is it is either Arctic Baltic conditions where magical things happen with giant Christmas trees or it's so baking hot that the buildings themselves are trying to cook your face. Yeah, we love it for just that reason. <laughs> Fair enough. If you ever want to escape the the New York temperature, let's say on April 30th, why don't you fly here to where I am and have a slightly chilly carting day out with us? Okay, although I am noticing a trend with lots of me tripping over there. Okay, but there may well be. I can't talk about that yet, Matt, and you know okay, full well enough. that I might be coming to Murica in very early May as well. But for now, if you want to come go-karting with us, we are taking a little trip over to Norfolk near Lowestoft on April 30th. And uh, what I would like is a bunch of people in my inbox with the subject line karting just saying, uh, you know, I'm potentially in. I want to see lots of names in my inbox so that I can go ahead and book that for April 30th. Email me spanners at mistapex.net just to say, ooh, that's interesting, or words to that effect. Uh, it looks like it's a little bit out of the way on the map, but actually we don't have to deal 
with the London traffic of our previous venue. So I'm hoping that we're going to get 50 carts on track. Uh, let's go across to Bedfordshire from someone who I'm sure is going to come karting with us. It's our expert driver man, Bradley Philpot. Hello, Brad. Hey, Spanners. How are you doing? Yeah, I'll definitely be at the karting. Is your 2022 F1 fan engine revving yet? Yes. It's this time of year where I always have to go away for work to a very cold place. And I get yeah. by by looking at testing, looking at car launches, and we're uh, very, very nearly at that point. So I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, you go you go off and do uh, you do uh, tyre testing, extreme tyre testing in cold weather. We get, always get lots of videos of you sliding around cold hangers or snowbanks. Yeah, I'll be out in the snow um, testing winter tyres and... Every time I finish, every time I finish a run or every time I've got Wi-Fi, I'll be checking my phone and, and looking at the new cars <laughs> that are out and checking out the testing times. Awesome. We're also going over to the other side of the world and we're delighted to have Chester back in the shed joining us from Beijing. Good morning, Chester. Yeah, very, very a.m. now here. Yeah, yeah, it's like four or, four or five in the morning for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah four <laughs> in the morning. But like, good evening to you guys. I appreciate you joining us, especially it's a, it's a bit of a holiday. Yeah. It is new year's eve i guess chinese new year's eve for you yeah chinese new year lunar new year so happy lunar new year everyone ah fantastic and uh does does the car launch season create much fuss over in beijing oh yeah yeah definitely like at least on the internet like everyone is talking about like the um the supposedly leaked suspension from zach brown's phone and mercedes <laughs> like photo you know. Oh, I see. Matt, you can shed some light on that for for us. I know we talked about McLaren a lot last week, but yeah, there was a was it Scarbs that managed to Scarbs. do some yeah. investigative work. Yeah, he was uh, he was thumbing through the um, fire up video, and I guess at a certain point the camera caught Zach taking a video of it for himself, and inadvertently revealed that uh, <laughs> McLaren will be running a pull rod front suspension which I believe has been 2009, 10, 11 was the last time they tried that. Ferrari, I know, had one in 2012. But it has not been a favorite of the Formula One teams. They've all been using the push rod. Okay. And I could even tell you why they might be doing it later on, if you well, like. With apologies to Chester and Brad, since we're on it, why not, why not just give us a quick rundown of why is that significant? I remember pull rod, push rod being a little bit like Bridge, Bridgestone Michelin, which way were the teams going? It used to be important... Is it now? Well, it is again for a couple of different reasons. You have lower noses. They've banned the push rod on upright, which was uh, that trick that Mercedes used to get around things like the uh, Monaco hairpin and stuff like that. And um, the basic aerodynamic configuration has changed. So there's going to be more advantage potentially in how the air flows through the pull rod suspension, which if you think about it, it's that extra rod that normally starts at the top of the chassis and goes down. That's the push rod. The pull rod starts at the bottom and goes up. So it changes how the air flows into behind between the wheel and the car. Okay. And it might very well be advantageous. Top to bottom, push rod, bottom to top, pull rod. Um, That's really all you need to know to identify okay. it. Okay, aero aside, Brad, I, don't know, I know you don't have a lot of aero car experience, but do these kind of suspension changes, do you think they'll relate to, to driver feel or driver style in any way? So everything I've heard is that you can't actually tell the difference from the driver's seat, whether it's a pull rod or a push rod, because essentially the suspension is still being compressed in the same way. It's more, Matt will probably correct me here, but as far as I understand it, it's more to do with the airflow. It's an aerodynamic change rather than a 
a steering or suspension feel change? Um, yeah, they both do the same job at in terms of absorbing the bumps. The difference is the pull rod has a lower center of gravity and is a bit lighter than the push rod. So that would that would be the lower center of gravity might also be an advantage this season in particular. Okay, so I'm slightly bored of the this because I can't understand it and that angers me. But is this going to be a thing where we suddenly see, oh, well, all the pool rod teams are doing really well and all the push rod teams are doing really well? Or is it more horses for courses and it's going to suit, you know, as long as you pick the one that suits your car, you'll be all right? I think as long as you pick the one that suits your car, you'll be all right. But you might see that cars that have chosen a particular design route that includes pull rod doing better uh, than ones that did push or vice versa. It, it's hard to say. It won't be a defining thing on its own. All right, let's, uh, let's get into the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. All right, let's start with car launch season. I'm going to ask the panel which car launches they're excited for, but do we have any? Do we have the dates, Matt, of which ones have been announced? I know there's one on Valentine's Day, so uh, ooh, uh, we can't watch that one because the fake love Christmas card industry won't let you. Yes, I know. Um, we do have a list, courtesy of none other than Summer's F1, who happily puts them out on Twitter. And uh, Aston Martin goes first right now on the 10th of February. McLaren's on the 11th. Alpha Tauri has stolen Valentine's Day on the 14th. Uh. Ferrari on the 17th. And Mercedes is on the 18th. And Alpine is on the 21st. So that's what we have so far. Okay, Chester. Who, which of those launches gets your engine running? What are you excited to see? Um, I'm kind of really like um, hoping Ferrari can do good like this year like compared to the last two. And... Like, interesting, like, Red Bull is not in there. Like, I think they're one of the few that haven't confirmed that they're launch date yet. So something, something about a um, a failed crash test. Ah, okay. Well, that does bring <laughs> us on to a, a subject. We'll, we'll cover those crash tests a bit later. But don't Red Bull traditionally like to launch their car on, on testing? And they like to do it at the track rather than have something snazzy? Or am I misremembering that, Matt? Oh, um, maybe. I don't know. Red Bull... They're going to be on their own schedule this preseason, I suspect. All right. And uh, Brad's from a pretty car. Because it's just the colours, isn't it? That's all we're looking for when we see who's got a new livery. I must admit, I don't get very excited about them at all. So, no, for me, absolutely, the colours don't really come into it. I'm fascinated by what shapes all these cars are. And I don't really care which one, whether it's Williams or Red Bull or Ferrari. I just want to see the interpretations each team comes up with, with such a drastically different rule set. So I'm I'm excited that we're not going to have, or hopefully won't have, teams like Red Bull, who in the past have released a render of the previous year's car. It's not even a real car they're showing yeah. us. They're just showing us a kind of new livery on an old shape, computer-generated car, and then we only see the real thing when they actually hit the track. I think years ago, you would have got more excited when there was less social media and less build-up to a season, because it would just be the first we knew about any of these cars. So we kind of get the excitement uh, of it all at once. Uh, whereas the impact has kind of been softened and there's not those big glitzy car launches anymore, really. I think I'm expecting all of them to be online affairs, perhaps with the odd awkward interview where you've got like a MC for hire. You know, they've hired in 
someone like me to just go, oh, I, you know, are you super excited about the F1 race car? Do you think you can beat Mercedes this year? Says the guy on a small fee. And you know, the Williams manager's like, no, I don't think we can beat Mercedes, dude. But you have a lot of awkward car launches. Uh, but yeah, we don't really get to see a lot apart from this year, Matt seeing the new shape out of the box will be exciting, but that novelty will will wear off fairly quickly. Yeah, you get you sort of get one chance. And with the renders, it's always important to note that they usually obscure anything you yes. might think of as an important yeah, exactly. detail. Yeah. So, yeah, because Summers is in our live chat, actually. Hello, Summers. Uh, Matthew Summerfield from uh, motorsport.com, the tech editor. Uh, but he is saying so that he can endlessly speculate but they, they're not going to show the juicy bits during the car launches, are they? No, they rarely do. And frankly, a lot of times, even when they get to the first test, they, they keep, if anything they keep, anything they think might really make a difference usually doesn't show up till mm. the last test. Yeah. Well, speaking of tests, Brad, I'm a bit disappointed about uh, no, the first test not only not being televised, but also they're not letting people into the, into the stadium either, into the Barcelona circuit. And they're, they're, they're They've redefined it as a as a shakedown test now. The, the rumours are that Bahrain may have paid some money to be the first on-track action and therefore Barcelona got demoted to being just a shakedown. But I'm going to miss it. Like you said, you have stuff on in the background. It doesn't need to be fancy. Just a couple of commentators, just the sound of some F1 cars going around. That's enough to get me starting to buzz for the F1 season. It is a strange one that that they've chosen to rebrand this as a shakedown, especially when some teams are already doing shakedowns at other venues before the shakedown. Um, Mercedes, for example, are going to do what they've named a shakedown at Silverstone, which they generally do. Um, but as long as we still get to see the times, which I believe we probably will, I mean, they'll get leaked if, if they're not shown live anyway. The fact that it's not televised, we never used to get it televised. We never used to get it. We got kind of autosport updates and it was like text. And I quite enjoyed reading that anyway. So if we get something like that, they used to have like um, flatbed truck watch. And, you know, <laughs> they, they, they talk in great detail about what was going on with the recovery of different vehicles. It was all quite entertaining. So I'm fine with that. Well, you'll be delighted to know there will be media at the circuit. So your live tickers from various sources that you enjoy will be up and running so you can keep track of the times and who's doing what laps and, and whose car goes boom and catches on fire. And Matt, are they forced to use the the demonstration tires that they normally have to use at shakedowns or are they using <laughs> the full fat proper tires? Because I assume they're using the proper tires and if they are, it's a test, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would be surprised if they made them run on the blocks of ice that, that, that they use for demonstrations uh, at this but it's what what does really surprise me is is as Spanners correctly points out, these have always been open to the fans in the past. You could buy tickets for cheap and wander around. It's usually yeah. not crowded and see the cars on track. And they they've closed it this time around. And Ferrari has run their own test, which there's some interesting stuff about that in Fiorano the past week, and it was packed every day with fans. People are desperate to see these cars. And I'm surprised, and I wonder how much it cost Liberty to book this circuit and not let them sell tickets. Well, well, this is it. They must have got, well, this is the speculation that they must have got paid from Bahrain. To, and this is, I don't have any inside knowledge on that. Why would I? But that Bahrain have paid for the rights to be the first. And, you know, like in the Middle East, that is not without precedent. That is why we finished the season in, 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 Abu, Dhabi. in Abu Dhabi. And presumably... 
Bahrain is going to become also the first Grand Prix for quite some time. I'd imagine we're going to have season openers in Bahrain for, for quite some time. The disappointing thing is, and I, I, this is rumour, someone tell me if this is true, that the price of the Spanish Grand Prix tickets included entry to testing. And so people have gone and bought tickets and booked hotels because they thought they were going to get to go and they haven't uh, been able to because the website suddenly changed it to it's a shakedown. So if anyone's in that position, please email me feedback at mistapex.net so that we can get some more info. Different kind of a shakedown, I suppose. Yeah, a shakedown light. I don't know. Uh, let's go for some more big, dirty news. It is very hard to follow news in the off-season in general, uh, but there is an increasing hardness this season as the amount of news sources that are willing to just say anything or create a story out of uh, speculation or just pure made-up lies and rumour is extraordinarily high this season. It's always been an issue, but there's loads of outlets just chucking out content. And we also have a lot of popular accounts online that have become popular uh, in the last year and now also want to be kind of a news agglomerator as well and are in a rush to be the first to leak the story and be the sensation. And I'll admit here at Missed Apex, we probably had a little phase of trying to do that as well before we realised that it's probably more trouble than it's worth. But it's very hard to tease out what's going on, Matt. Apparently, uh, well, I, mean, I mean, Chester, you, you're the one speaking to me uh, pre-show. Apparently, everyone's failed a crash test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone probably does fail a crash test, right, Chester? <laughs> yeah um yeah I'm, I'm i'm thinking about like um there's a lot of like um like just social media accounts and like news sources that they like they just based on news on like some words somebody said like a few years ago and yeah the, anything like a lot of times there <laughs> a lot of the times i don't think there are a lot of the stories but like this time i think it's the motorsport uh italian uh division i think they reported like supposedly Red Bull failed a like frontal crash test. It's not the first one. Asian News designed a um, number eighteen car that failed a crash test preseason. So I don't mm. know. I, I don't think that, that this will affect them that much because they got experiences and like personnel to to like update the the monocoque and make it success. Yeah, it sounds like a, failing those tests is a, just a perfectly normal part of doing business. You you fail the test, you adjust the design, and then you take it again. Yeah, yeah, like, I think, I would assume they were, like, pushing the limits of the performance, so they were, like, yeah. maybe on the on the edge, right? So they probably just felt a bit. Yeah, and that would be a deliberate choice, wouldn't it, Matt, to, to run performance versus reliability, you know, like, like Mercedes do, for example, with the air inlets. You know, they like to basically run as hot as they can or, or do as little cool. They always run the cooling on the edge. And, you know, in their testing, they'll probably run it to destruction. So why should a crash test be any different? But can we just can we safely ignore all the crash test talk? Because it seems to come up every year. And I don't ever remember a team going, well, sorry, we're not turning up for the first race because well, those crash tests, they're, they're holding us back. Uh, yeah, you can pretty safely ignore all of that. In fact, I, I want to say that one one season, and I do believe it was Red Bull, I there was a rumor that they failed close to 30. <laughs> like front wing tests or nose tests oh, okay. before they finally got a design that would pass. And and so, yeah, it is absolutely a part of the sport. If you're going to design at the absolute limit, you, you know, you, you go for what you think you can get away with. And as you said, when it doesn't work out, 
then you just add a little bit back in until you pass the uh, requirement. Oh, actually, Brad, you just briefly touched on tyres because you were talking about going off tyre testing and you are, in fact, a performance tyre tester. What are you expecting from the the new tyres? And and, and also, when you mentioned using demo tyres, what what are the differences between those things and and what are we going to expect from the the 2022 tyres? Yeah, so just to to answer the the final part there first, when the teams do demonstration runs, um, they've got a certain allocation of a number of days each year they can they can run a, a current car um where it's for filming purposes and quite often the teams will obviously double up and use that for checking yeah. systems and all that kind of thing i'm sure a lot of the teams will will be doing some drone filming and promo shots but they're also actually checking systems in their new car it's just an extra day of running isn't it really but i think it's limited to 100 miles in the day um and they have to run on these essentially um stone tires like super ungrippy slippery horrible tires so they can't to try and prevent them using it as too much of a test day um so they look the same you couldn't tell from the outside but the the demo run tires will not give you anything like the performance of of the proper tires yeah so you know they can do things like uh stick a a different driver in there just to get used to being in in an f1 car check that the exhaust doesn't fall off but not get anywhere near ultimate performance so yeah and we understand that as a shakedown or a tv day so it really does make the calling yeah, testing film, a filming, filming day, day. Yeah. that's it yeah um and you asked about how what i expect from the tires the yes. new tires obviously yeah. that's one of the major regulation changes if it wasn't enough that the cars are totally different the the wheel size and tires are very different as well so uh, a lower profile less rubber more wheel um, and what i'd expect that to feel like certainly as a driver subjectively through the steering wheel the car will feel a bit more direct a bit more pointy uh, a little bit more um immediate feel um that's the thing you generally feel when you when you make a sidewall smaller um you feel everything a bit more instantaneously because there's less flex going on through the the only part of the car which is actually touching the floor and obviously the taller the sidewall if you can take it to an extreme think of something like a tractor or a lorry or a, a van um obviously as you turn the steering wheel there's a lot of twisting going on in the sidewall before the contact patch touching the floor turns itself so obviously there's always this kind of twisting force going on in the sidewall and the steering is doing one thing and the bit that the bit of the tire that's stuck to the floor is doing another thing and the less rubber you have there the the smaller the profile the the smaller the the shorter the um portion of tire above the wheel and below the wheel yeah um then the less flex and the more direct it's going to feel it will also though mean that you should have a bit more understeer in the slow speed corners um, because there's less mechanical grip coming from that flex and from the tire squishing around it should mean there's more consistency in high speed and the drivers will know what to expect a bit more and hopefully a bit um, easier to manage the temperature of the tyre as well. Okay, so can we point to a particular driver that doesn't mind a bit of understeer or a driver perhaps that likes to really get in and point, a, a, you know, like via corner that might struggle with tyres that are a bit more understeery in the slow corners? I think in terms of the overall balance of the car, it's going to depend massively on the car itself because it's not like, that change in itself is going to be the thing that defines the the handling characteristics of a particular car. Formula One cars are not the first series to go to lower profile tires. If you look at LMP1 or LMP2 or any sports car, really, they've all got this kind of profile of tire. And and you don't hear about uh, you know the LMP1 Le Mans cars being particularly understeer or anything like that. It can all be tuned with with the rest of the car setup. It's just in general compared to the cars we have now, um, those are going to be the the differences. Um, and I, I couldn't, I wouldn't even hazard a guess at which drivers that's going to benefit or, or hinder. 
Well, thank goodness I'm here, because what <laughs> I'm going to bring up is the fact that Alonzo has spent a serious amount of time driving wet cars that already had these sized tires. Now, they were Michelins and not Pirellis, and the tires are constructed differently. But he, for one, and perhaps not surprising if you follow Alonzo, thinks it will benefit him to have these bigger tires and wheels that he's used to from his sports car driving. Oh, yeah, but wait for that to turn into, ah, oh, these tyres only suit the British drivers. It's hot, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. It'll be an excuse at some point. And, and Brad is really onto something. These tyres are very different to what the drivers have been used to because they're designed to, re- to degrade less and to have a much wider thermal window than the previous tyres. So they really are going to behave much differently to what they've been on and and it will be a learning curve i think for the drivers to figure out how to get the best out of them during their stint so it'll it'll be interesting for sure to watch and just as a very brief kind of precursor we have seen these tires used um in the test post-season Abu Dhabi. And I think the general consensus was that they took a bit longer to warm up, which is exactly what you'd expect because there's less less friction, there's less twisting, there's less heat build up from the tire moving around. So yep. um, that's, that is what, what you'd expect. And hopefully that is going to contribute to an easier temperature management once they're up to temperature. Ah, and so, more- yeah. So then it'll be interesting, Matt, to see if, if the thermal management has kind of been sorted and it can just be down to tire wear, that might make for more like you know, tire, tire tactics that we can follow as viewers. It's very hard to, to know, oh, the, he's got no grip because he's out of the thermal window isn't very exciting. But being able to go, oh, but he's on, he's on lap 42, so obviously those tires are starting to go. Do you know what I mean, Brad? Like We can follow that more than out of its thermal window. Yeah, I can imagine for most people watching, certainly any casual viewer, trying to understand that a tyre that's actually really new has run out of grip, even though it's got loads of tread. That'd be a really weird thing to think about because on the road, everyone's used to tyres need replacing when they're worn out, not when they get yeah. warm. So um, we thought they were trying to warm the tyres up anyway. So you yeah, have yeah. a conflict of... And now they're too warm. They, yeah, they're trying to kind of keep it in a window, which is it's not an exciting thing to talk about, is it? So yeah, I think t- you might be right there. Tyre temperature management, Matt. Yeah, it's not a thrill. No, it's not. But I'm going to suggest that it could make the opening laps of races a lot more entertaining Mm. because don't forget, it's not just the tires that take longer to warm up, but the tire blankets themselves are going to be run at completely different temperatures this season as well. All right. And having said that, if I said the word Ferrari and you thought loophole, would that be a bad thing? (laughs) What have they done this time, the sneaky Italians? What are they up to? Well, you know, I mentioned briefly their test, and because of the change in regulations, normally you're not allowed to test last year's car as a historic car. FIA had changed that because of the big change in regulations. Ferrari, we're going to test last season's car, but apparently, and I just throw this in because it's interesting to me, apparently someone complained about it because they'd already done their 2022 power unit upgrade, so they were actually forced to change and run an older car in their test last week. Ah. So, so is, this, is this a reason for Ferrari people to get excited? Yeah. Okay, look, Chester, you mentioned hoping Ferrari would be better this season. That hurt me because I thought we were friends. But what, why? why what, what, what enamors you to the Scuderia Ferrari? Um, I don't know. I, I'm, 
I don't think I, I consider myself a Ferrari fan, but mm-hmm. I just think like um, a such a huge and successful team as the Ferrari, I think they should be at least fighting um, for at least for a race win or, or two, right? Not like trembling in the midfield and mm-hmm. at least not like 2020 when they're like a um, really bad SF1000, like just doing in the back. So I, w- I would hope like, and in the turbo hybrid era, I think they're like only Ferrari and Red Bull brought the fight to Mercedes uh, in seventeen and eighteen. So I would like really hope they can like step step it up and bring the fight to Red Bull and Mercedes. But maybe yeah. they are not the um, the front runner team this this year. Maybe. No, I don't think they would be. And Matt, people have called me a Ferrari hater, which which I hate that they've correctly identified that. But I no, I don't hate them like personally. I actually like Bonotto and I like both their drivers now, which is really, really annoying. But I, I like them as rivals. So as, as much as I was like, <laughs> after Fuelgate, I do want them back so that we can, we being anyone that's not Ferrari, score some, some proper worthy victories against them. So I think Chester's got a point. It's almost like a all, all is right with the world if they're up there challenging. It sort of brings F1 back to something more recognisable. I, I don't know. I don't want to fall into yeah, the trap ma- of being one of these, oh, F1 needs Ferrari. I'm just saying. F1 doesn't need Ferrari piddling about at the back. Matt. Yeah, I imagine Charles okay. and Hamilton and Verstappen are fighting the fight. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. When you look at their drivers, Matt, imagine Sainz, Leclerc, all scrapping with Russell, Hamilton, uh, Verstappen and Perez if he's allowed. Yes. Well, I have some good news for you, Chester, <laughs> which is while other teams have been headhunting top technical talent, it turns out that Ferrari has very quietly hired about 30 engineers from a variety of different teams to come join them in designing this year's car. And so, I, I mean, I do believe that they have the potential to make a, a step forward relative to their rivals, whether it will put them all the way at the front on a weekly basis, I don't know. But you have every reason to feel very positive right now if you're a fan of the Scuderia, except for, of course, their entire history. <laughs> yeah, look, I think I think Chester's, he's, he initially revealed he's a Ferrari fan, then felt like he would come on under attack. And I think, I think you've just, you've shied away. This is a safe place, okay? We, we welcome all fans, even Ferrari fans. I promise. It's okay, Chester, you can admit it. Yeah, just don't admit uh, if we're stabbing fan, right? Oh, yeah, no, That'd don't do bad. that. That would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, looking at the looking at the iTunes reviews uh, in the Netherlands, Matt, I don't think we're fantastically popular over there in, in, uh, in Dutch lands. Really? I can't imagine why that would be. Because I think it's Brad's fault. Between you and me, I think, it, I think it's definitely it, Brad's fault. It, maybe? Okay. Yeah, but if anyone outside of the netherlands wants to leave us an itunes review it really does help five star reviews you can criticize matt's hair all you want uh, but as long as it's five stars so five stars matt's got terrible hair is completely fine uh, five stars how is matt uh, that old and, and still breathing uh, can he walk and chew gum at the same time that kind of thing that's completely fine as long as it's five stars matt that's what i barely barely yeah exactly that will do but it really does help it gets us up the charts um, which is really really cool for us and you can always share this link with your friends uh, just share mistapex.net. it's nice and simple mistapex.net, and that brings you to a home page where people can uh, look at the audio version 
or they can come and see our faces on the video version as well. So just tell your friends. Go to MissedApex.net for all your F1 stuff. Okay, Matt, I think we should make Brad angry, shall we? Uh No, let's not do that yet. Let's go over to Asia. Um, We're looking at the the start of the Grand Prix season and we've got Bahrain on the 18th of on the 20th of March Saudi Arabia Australia Monza oh so we're into the European leg quite quickly and then to Miami and then of course back to Spain Monaco and Azerbaijan that makes complete sense logistically well done F1 uh, but there has been some track news which is that Singapore has gotten a new contract for seven years but there's no sign of the Chinese Grand Prix and uh, that that irritates me, Chester. That's the, we've got the wrong we've got the wrong Asian Grand Prix secured. Uh, the Singapore Grand Prix does not thrill me at all, apart from looking visually exciting. But the Chinese Grand Prix is is genuinely one of the best modern F one tracks, especially that sector one. And it's just such a shame to have not seen it. Why you tell me? Why isn't it coming in twenty twenty two? I hold you personally responsible. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, something something to do with the COVID restrictions. Still, so uh, about the, um, the 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 Shanghai circuit, I think it's a really really fun circuit to drive mm. to race. But like sometimes the the races are hit or miss. Remember the one thousands race? It's like they oh, yeah. hyped it up like so badly, and yeah, the really fall flat on his face so yeah singapore um yeah i don't really like the circuit either it's like stop and go stop and go typical like street circuit thing um so for the for the chinese grand prix um i've heard um the shanghai local government is really pushing to to have a race and i think they just um got their extension to 2025 so it's not going away just yet but until like I think after the Winter Olympics, so th- they were testing a so-called like closed loop um, system. So yeah. like all the foreign foreign athletes and like workers coming in, they are like in a closed loop. They're not like interacting with uh, other people um, in the society. So if this is, turns out to be a success, I think they will try to bring maybe not twenty two, but at least twenty three um, Chinese Grand Prix back. Yeah, I have seen that it's supposed to come back in 2023 as well. And and I think their contract runs through 2025. So it's not entirely over yet, let's hope. Yeah, I mean, it's not as if you would struggle to fill that track. There's no problem. Like if you hold a Chinese Grand Prix, Chinese people want to go and see a Grand Prix. There's an appetite for racing and F1 racing. Yeah, especially like a new Chinese drivers coming coming in. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It, it'll be really sad to if if Joe just did one year and just never raced in his home country. Yeah, uh, I would like to see like even even he he's not going to do that good, but at least see him like race in his home country again. So, from your part of the world, what Grand Prix would you be tempted to physically go and and see? I guess Australia is on the cards from there. It's not too far. I mean. Well, to me, it's all, uh, it's, it's all over. It's, it's still pretty far. far. It's still pretty far, yeah. You're, you know, um, Vietnam, yeah. If like it's not an option right now, but that'll be like the other. And also Japanese Grand Prix. I think that's one of the closest. And the circuit is it's very good. Uh, Japanese Grand Prix, which is on the calendar this season as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I know we like to criticize the Americans, Matt, for their, for their geography or lack of. But when we were talking about the Miami thing that we weren't meant to to leak or even talk about or even whisper i i said to the organizer oh 
I've allegedly, got, allegedly, if we were talking about Miami, <laughs> I said, oh, I've got family in San Diego. I wonder if that's close by. And I looked on the map, like it, it could not be further away. It was like a whole continent away. And that's uh, that's how we look at Asia as well. Ah, oh, China and Australia, they must be close to each other. But um, let's go to, to Singapore. It's not a track that excites me. It looks spectacular. I'm, I'm assuming that it's got some economic you know, viability and there's the appeal to have it. I don't even know. I don't know if it's well attended. I don't know what the motivation for it being there is. But I don't, I don't like the track from a race day point of view. From a visual point of view, watching an onboard, it looks great. Well, I, I can tell you right now that I believe it surpassed Monaco in terms of business deals done. Oh, Attendance right. is always 100% <laughs> and the parties are massive. And I hear the street food there is not too bad either. I'll bet, I'll bet. So it's become the new jewel in the wallet, has it? Yeah, mm. yeah. Which, well, you know, Formula One being a business, a certain amount of business has to happen. All right. Well, we can get rid of the other one then, can't we? Uh, Brad, <clears throat> in if let's assume that my assertion that all street circuits are rubbish is correct. Why? In fact, get in my head. Why don't I like street circuits? Why, when we go to these tracks, do I Baku, Singapore? Why do I go? Oh. Um, I don't know exactly why you why you're um, thinking like that, but I, I actually do quite like street circuits. But I'll, oh, I'll just go along with your sake. view. The reason that some people might not like them <laughs> is that they sometimes don't look particularly interesting. The corners look quite samey. Yeah. Uh, having walls very close makes it often harder to go for an overtake quite often they're narrower than a non-street circuit so there's actually not as much room to make an overtake monaco is is the worst example obviously that that's the real one you hate um and and obviously monaco is nearly impossible to overtake yeah because it is particularly narrow not all street circuits are like that we do have some we've got quite a lot of variation in street circuits in formula one when yeah. you've got somewhere like baku or singapore you've actually got similar width to a, an ordinary track i don't think it's as much of an issue but then you do have other problems created by the walls being there. It's not just the room you have. They tend to bounce dust and marbles back onto the track. So they, you get this accumulation of a of slippery area near the edges. So it, it kind of does rule out some of the track um, yeah. for, for making passes. And uh, I don't know if it was Baku that someone said you can, you can still feel the aero effects like six, seven seconds down the road because the air is, the disturbed air kind of stays within the walls, Matt. I think it was actually Singapore oh, was it? Um, when right. we were talking about qualifying. Remember that year Hamilton ro- ran that amazing lap and I, I think they actually <laughs> used it to publicize the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they were talking about seven, eight seconds back drivers were still running. Cause this is, again, gets back to the, can we create enough space for a qualifying run? Yeah. As we run out of time. Can I address that miracle lap? Was it 2018 when Lewis Hamilton, yeah, 2018. 2018, yeah, he'd been kind of struggling to to get uh, anywhere really in that session as I, as I remember it i was only listening to it i watched it back later but he couldn't he was struggling to get into q3 and then suddenly pulls out this lap and then okay i'm a hamilton fan don't come hating right but people were like going, oh, it's a, a Senna-esque lap. You know, when Senna was at Monaco going, with every lap, I felt the car more and more and I reached the ultimate thing. The Surely, Matt, the, the credit has to go to the Mercedes strategists who told him how to, to treat the tyres exactly. Didn't he get there basically by by just not using the tires at all he pretty much got out and pushed the car around (laughs) until he got right before the straight then he got in and and started just so the tire temperatures because everyone was as you correctly it was a year of the hyper soft tire i think pink tires and uh, everyone was just losing performance in the last sector and he just 
managed to get the tires inside the sweet spot, kind of like a bullseye inside of a inside of a target. There's another sweet spot, and he got it perfectly there for almost a whole lap. And his improvement from his qualifying time was just it was miraculous. It was amazing. It was just a, a feat of driving and engineering that Oh, you know, we were just lucky to see something like that. I'll be honest. Yeah, but Brad, come on, that's got to be down to the the strategists and the team picking through that data and then and spotting that that sweet spot means you have to crawl around the lap. That's that's probably not like Hamilton just finding a, a genius seven tenths through perfect racing lines and breaking points. Yeah, I'm sure. As with with basically every good performance in motorsport, it's a combination of everyone in the team doing their job properly. Um, okay, how the, often the driver? Yeah, how often still has to do it. I've seen you take pole by like a minute before, <laughs> and well, I don't know. You've taken like massive poles at, um, at Nordschleife, and you've been on pole by a long, long way. Uh, have you ever had that thing where you just know you found a little engineering secret or a little tire trick, or you know you had a, a massive car advantage that people didn't know about, and everyone's hailing you as a, a genius, and you go, "Yes, it was all me." Uh, I'm sure that has happened. I can't think of great specific examples, but yeah, I mean, I, I did some karting in the last year um, in an extremely good team. And I knew, for example, that I definitely had better engines than most of the people on the grid. The kart was definitely better okay. set up than most of the grid. Um, you know, and you know that, especially if you jump from a different team into that one and you drive the same, but everything just goes way better and your lap times are better. So I, I have had those um, situations where, where you, but you don't tell everyone that. You, you just you just say to everyone that you did a great yeah, job. I just did as well as I could, and I ended up uh, I ended up being amazed. But what about the nature of those corners as well, Brad? I think it's the the say the first sector in in Singapore. It looks okay because I mean there's street circuits and then there's street circuits, so they have like a, a little bit of an open bit that they've changed into a shake chicane. You look at say for example the new Miami layout, and actually it looks like it's in the car park of a, a stadium rather than you know, on, on the way to Tesco's, you know, it's not like the, you know, country streets going past, you know, the, 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 the Dickinson's house, you know, oh, there's Derek in number 42. It's not that kind of street circuit. Whereas Singapore is probably more genuinely a, a street layout with 90 degrees. I think that is that 90 degree stop start nature that kind of makes it go, I'm not interested. Yeah. I mean, those kind of corners are just necessitated by the, the shape map. of most cities, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. They, unless you do have a really wide open space that you can do something different with or an old style city that happens to have more organically shaped corners, um, then that is just what you're going to end up with. And I think the fact you can't see through the apex quite often, you know, you can't really see what's the other side. In fact, the corner, if they're 90 degrees, they're quite often not enough of a stop to be a really good overtaking point. Um, there's, there's various problems. I still don't have a problem with street circuits though. And I think I actually like the very varied kind of street circuits we have in Formula One. Um, and I'm glad that we have street circuits on the calendar because in the same way that I'm glad we've got a track like Monza on the calendar that's bizarre. Mm. And, you know, I like the variation. That's what makes Formula One uh, a really global sport for me that, that tests different facets of driving than some other series. Okay, I think you've hit a good point there, which is perhaps on the onboards at Singapore, it just looks like they're driving towards a dead end and then at the last minute they turn. And the opposite of that is Paul Ricard, where they're just driving, you know, in an indescript flat area, and then they suddenly turn. So you might have hit on something there. I'm very disappointed you didn't agree with me more about street circuits. Never mind. 
Matt, can we sort that? Can we only get people on who agree with me about street circuits? Can we just can we add that to the admin list? Sure. Of the show? No problem. I'll put that on my list of things that I will eventually get around to doing. Okay. Uh, well, Brad, what? I, I do agree with you on a lot of other things, <laughs> okay. though. Oh yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'm just particularly disappointed about this one. That's all. That's fine. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Let's move on, Matt. Where should we, where should we uh, head to? Oh, what's happening with Red Bull Honda? Because I thought, I thought, the whole point they froze the engine regulations was so that the new Red Bull powertrains, the the tag Hondas, could have some time to catch up before they got homologated in 2026. Now they've basically said, oh, no, forget all that. We're staying with Honda. So surely we can just go freeze the engines this year now because there's no Red Bull powertrain. Well, except technically there is. Honda is making the parts and assembling them and sending them over, but it's not a Honda power unit in the same way that it was before. And and we know this because the uh, chief uh, of, of Honda's former uh, F1 powertrain unit has now started his own consultancy to sort of act as a go-between between Red Bull and and Honda. So essentially, Honda is building these power units on spec for Red Bull. All that's really happened is Red Bull's not doing the work at Milton Keynes, which was the original plan. And that's mostly because they're already needing to get ready. And I think this is why the other teams didn't fight the engine freeze too hard. They're already needing to start getting ready for the 2026 brand new power unit regulations. Matt, can I just, just to clarify something? Because I was, I was under the impression from all the coverage and all of the farewell honda stuff that honda were actually like pulling out and red bull were just going to kind of continue that contract use the basic architecture but they've got this whole new engine development um area in milton Keynes. yeah if honda are if it's still a honda design fundamentally it's the same engine that they've been using up until this point especially because it's frozen and it's being built by honda um (laughs) what what makes it not honda i can't see anything (laughs) other than we're just being told it's not honda like is it is though? Like, I can't. Well, what could Matt, possibly? Matt, uh, uh, so, so uh, Jose in, in our chat. I'm just gonna say Jose in the chat has just gone. If it quacks like a Honda, fair enough. Um, I think the issue um, 
from Honda's point of view, had something to do with intellectual property rights and the fact that Red Bull, as you know, has been flirting with uh, Porsche quite a bit. And I think they were concerned about um, losing control, whether vertently or inadvertently, of some of that if they let the manufacturing happen at Milton Keynes. Do you understand? Am I making my point clearly enough? They're worried that that Porsche might snag some of their ideas if they let the manufacturing happen at Milton Keynes, and they preferred to keep it in Japan. And Red Bull were okay with that because they get the same result regardless of where the parts are done. They probably get better quality control because it's being made by people with more experience, and they can just bring the Porsche people in to start setting up shop and working on 2026 at their home base, which is what they're probably going to wind up doing anyway. So maybe I've missed something, and sorry if this is a really dumb question. No. Why have Honda pulled out if they're still having to do all the work and just not get any of the glory for it? Like what What was the pullout for? It wouldn't be Honda if they don't pull out like Formula One when they're immediately <laughs> going to have some success. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's the What's the take from uh, from I don't uh, you know from from that part of the world of of Honda? We heard a lot of differences in culture led to disagreements with Mercedes and not Mercedes, McLaren and Honda and the clashing philosophies and making that relationship difficult. But it, they seem to have eventually made it work at Red Bull. It was it was a surprise almost to see them pulling out. So I was a bit lost as to why Honda wanted to pull out in the first place. Chester, what's your take on that? Um, I have absolutely no idea like why they, why they pull out. Maybe I think maybe it's because like the cost thing and... Mm, they 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 see they all have like a uh, a major upgrade in 2021 and this like the last push to help Red Bull to win the title which they did uh, but like as for why they decide to do that maybe Matt will give us an answer it's just money it's expensive very 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 expensive to run research and development and as a manufacturer you're essentially giving your engines to your customers at a loss and since Honda didn't have their own team, then they don't also reap the marketing benefits that the teams, like Mercedes has a Mercedes team, so they get all the marketing benefits of winning championships in a way that power unit manufacturers do not. So what's essentially happened is Honda has said, we don't want to lose control. We don't want to spend money. Red Bull said, fine, we'll pay you to make the engines in Japan and ship them to us and Alpha Tauri. And everybody thinks that's going to be just grand. Oh, Brad, I don't know. It's not. It's not sitting well with me. It just seems a bit. It just seems a bit too convenient for my liking. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. You've kind of already touched upon it. I thought the whole point of having this freeze was because it yeah. was like, yeah. okay, we're, we won't be too hard on Red yeah. Bull who are going it alone. You know, having to develop this engine on their own and being and, a and new and engine that's, manufacturer. And that's good for F1. So we want to encourage that. Yeah, they are, are actually just literally keeping it with the manufacturer. Um, the second thing that I wanted to just ask again, this, this is a genuine question. I don't know the answer. The If they're now paying for engines, so obviously with being a Honda Works team, they wouldn't have necessarily been paying for the engines. It would have been just part of the deal. Honda are getting yeah. the marketing benefit. If Red Bull are now paying for that, how does that affect the, the cost cap? Does that not Ooh. really suddenly mean they have a, a much um, bigger chunk of their budget? Or, or is that already taken into account? Would Honda's spend on engines already part of that? Or do engines not count at all? So as a team, I buy a supply of power units for between 15 and 20 million a season. Red Bull is doing that. But there's now Red Bull Power Units, which is a separate company, which is responsible for the development of the power, for the 
construction and development of the power unit that goes into the Red Bull. Red Bull power units, which may not be its actual name, is essentially paying Honda to make that for them. So essentially, Red Bull has become the tag hoyer in this situation. But the difference is, because Red Bull are still funding it out of their corporate, whole corporate structure, sorry, because it's coming out of mm-hmm. like the big Red Bull corporation, yeah. not just Red Bull racing, um, they are behind the eight ball relative to Mercedes and Renault and everybody else, and especially in terms of the amount of spend that they would need to, to make that R&D happen, because Honda's not going to do the research and development. They're happy to build it. They know how to do that, and they can make money at it. They don't want to spend more money chasing more performance. And that's why the engine freeze originally came in, because Red Bull were picking up the financial reins of having their own power units. Okay, so before we, we leave this, in fact, no, this fits in with what I'm going to do next. Let's uh, fix F1 by changing stuff. <laughs> That's a super snazzy. Uh, that's a super snazzy title for a segment, isn't it? Let's fix F one by changing stuff. I like that. So I want suggestions from you guys uh, about how to change Formula One. But I, I want to look at the current engine rules, Matt. I had a uh, epiphany um, about the engine rules and the fact that you get a penalty for exceeding your three engines. So you get a penalty. You're doing something wrong. Is it okay from a sporting point of view to accept that penalty as part of racing like Mercedes did in Brazil? They, they deliberately broke a rule, which is you're only allowed to have three engines. And they said, no, well, we'll have more. Hardly an uncommon thing. Pretty much every team has exceeded that at some point. But they showed in Brazil with a really superior fresh engine, they could go absolutely nuts. They could win it from everywhere. So what's to stop them in 2022, periodically, every three races, just checking, chucking a new power unit in, going, oh no, a 10-second grid penalty, what will we do? As they just breeze past the entire grid. I'll go, go for you, Chester, first. Would you consider that cheating if Mercedes did that? I mean, like, it's, it's allowed in the rules. So if you take a new power unit, you take the 10-grid uh, penalty and five yeah. afterwards. So... If this, if if that's in the rules, I think they're you can say they're cheating. But like I think it's against the spirit of the rule, which is like to, um, you know, to be more efficient to with the engines and not like have a like dedicated qualifying engine just one run <laughs> yeah, one yeah. lap and have it blow. So I think it's against the spirit of the rule. But I don't know if uh, are are they changing it? Like so maybe. No. I think if if they change it to like have more severe penalties, um, so it's like a like between now if you take a a um a, a new one you got five and like maybe you get like ten or fifteen. So oh, it goes higher. In the middle ground, yeah. Like, so yeah, so it what? goes higher, but not but not too high. Like um, you can't like stack it together like the McLaren Honda days. They stack like a sixty seventy grid penalties together. Not that. No, that'll be pretty hilarious. Yeah. But why? What would stop them from running seven new engines in the first seven races, taking their grid penalties, and then just having, you know, whatever nineteen races left, seventeen races left, where they've just got this pool of relatively fresh engines, and they can just go hunting for the rest of the season and twenty thirteen Red Bull it. I think Brazil is like a pretty special case, right? It, I think they they had the new engine for it, and um, it's really really fast. But I don't think it'll work like every circuit, right? 
Uh, like some of the circuits yeah, are you'd have pretty to hard to overtake, yeah. even if you have like a brand new engine that has like 20, 30 horsepower uh, more than the other engines. Yeah, so you, you'd have to pick your circuit, Matt. But, but, but I think I think there's some strategists out there now listening going, nice one, Spanners, we'll have that. And tell you what, it's yours. You can have any strategist, you can have that tactic, not you, Ferrari. It's right. So if it's within the current scope of the regulations and you don't violate the cost cap because it will depend on the contract you have with your power unit supplier, you know, are you at, uh, over four power units? Are you paying extra for them? Well, now that's a problem. On the other hand, if, if you've simply paid a lump sum for a season supply, then that's a different thing. But I think if you're a power unit supplier, how you, how you view that is uh, it will cost extra money unless you show us an engine that is no longer functional. But <laughs> if, you're Mercedes, re- if you're Mercedes, you, you yeah. dictate the cost of the engine. Go, hang on, Mercedes, you've had 10 engines. You've only got 15 million. How much are those? Oh, well, these ones, bargain these ones, right? Honestly, right, I got them off a, a pallet with a bunch of lawnmower engines, 1.5 million apiece. Wouldn't believe it. That's what I said. I said, I said, you're letting me rob you, pal. But he said, no, 1.5 million engine. So they can dictate the price. I don't think that's a, a major drama. Yeah, no, but the other thing to consider is we don't know if, in fact, there will be some sort of rule about that because the last draft of the sporting regulations, as Summers has helpfully pointed out, although we've discovered this before on our own, is from last April. We don't actually know a great deal about the sporting regulations. They're not complete, Mm. and they're from a long time ago. So it's entirely possible that the penalties will have been changed for this exploit let's call it yeah and and so it will no longer be possible they'll close the spanners loophole okay uh, mark in our live chat said never in the history of, of F- f1 has any team spent any time worrying about the spirit of the rules and i think that might be true to an extent although i do feel like mercedes have occasionally hobbled themselves with the the spirit of the regulations and a sense of general fair play like i, I don't think they would have done what Perez, what the, what Red Bull did with with Perez, like literally like slow down for you don't think so, Brad? You know the slow down for the DRS, hold him up in the corners. I'm not sure Mercedes would have ever deployed Bottas quite to that extent. So I think that yes, the teams will go to exactly what they can get away with. But I feel like Mercedes are held back by this little bit of sense of fair play. If that's true, then I'm a bit sad because I would hope any competitive team would do what Red Bull did with Perez. I think the problem is. Mercedes haven't had a driver capable of doing that. Bottas just doesn't have that in him. And you've seen every time he's been asked to even hold another driver up for yeah, one he's not corner. Been able to. That's the, a good point. Yeah. yeah. He, so that just wouldn't have worked, I don't think, with Bottas, which I still find bizarre, just going off on a slight tangent, that someone can get all the way through the ranks winning things like GP3 and having a successful karting career and not have somehow remembered all the racecraft that you have to have to get through those ranks. Yeah. But anyway, for whatever reason, no, no, no. Bottas seems to have lost that. You're, you're right. Cause I was following this at a time after you had been teaching me basic racecraft. Cause you'd always said to me, yeah, I can steer the wheel reasonably, but I have to quote you zero racecraft. So when we were talking through like attacking and defending, like it was like basics, like where do you position your car? Are you going to defend the inside or the outside? Well, that's decided kind of, by how it plays out so you go in the middle and then if they the other car chooses the inside then you can squeeze them to compromise their line into the next corner we didn't see any of that from Bottas he would just pick a line immediately and the other car would event cruise past we saw it time after time and then the next layer where 
when you're in the middle of the the move where they're trying to get the cut back on you and you just check up your speed in the middle so they mm. can't do their cut back because the momentum they've gained by going wide can't be used because you've positioned your car just to be in their way. All the stuff Perez was doing at Abu Dhabi, um, and, and he did it really well. I held nothing against Perez for that, even though I was, I was obviously backing Hamilton at the time to, to win that race. I was pleased seeing Perez do that because yeah. that's what I think everyone should do in that position. The same as I was happy that Hamilton did everything he could in his power to back Rosberg into the pack when that was his only way to win the championship all those years. Yeah, ago. yeah, but that was that was not Mercedes. That was Hamilton. I'm I'm sure Hamilton would want to do the Red Bull style, but Mercedes just seemed to be held back a bit by that that sense of fair play. Yeah, That's I can't one. think of any other examples though, and I, I certainly think the season we've just had will have fired them up to yeah, yes to try and avoid too much of that. I think they want yeah. to come across as being professional corporate fair but i think they will have maybe learned from from toto's kind of outburst on the radio that that gives you really bad pr when when you do actually when you're kind of vocally um too aggressive in in your kind of attitude as a team they'll do stuff they'll take things to the limit behind the scenes but Mm. i don't think they'll they necessarily want to come across as as anything less than squeaky clean so slightly on that point I feel like when there was Mercedes domination in 2014, 2015, 2016, I feel like from a development point of view, they didn't want to embarrass F1 and they didn't want F1 to look bad. So I always got that feeling that they they maintained a gap and if a team got close to them, they would then bring out upgrades. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think they're going to do that in 2022. Yeah, it's a different thing, isn't it? When you're yeah. so far ahead that it's actually, it's almost embarrassing. Yeah, yeah embarrassing, yeah. Um, when you've got such a margin, then you can afford to be more nice to your competitors and and be more fair. But one, when you're in a you know a, a knife, a, what would you call it, a barroom brawl? Um, <laughs> yeah, you you need to just uh, do anything you need to. Yeah, get dirty. I think that's kind of what we saw. Yeah, exactly. Get dirty. I think that's what we saw in the season just past. Yeah, I, for me, the the line always was Mercedes, and and I hate to use Red Bull, but it's just because it's. Or I guess we could use Ferrari. Let's take the Ferrari power unit. Their, their agreement that we don't know anything about, but everybody kind of knows exactly what happened. I don't think that's a thing Mercedes would do. I think Mercedes will be clever. I think Mercedes will, within whatever rules exist, but I don't think they would actively design a system that violates what the stated rules are. Like, say, they will exploit the gray area, but I think Mercedes as a corporation has a line and an image to protect. And I think yeah. you're right about that. Whereas I think other teams will, the question they ask themselves is, will I get caught? And if the answer is there's a less than 50% chance, they're liable to do just exactly <laughs> that thing. Uh, fair enough. Uh, let's continue with our, our ways of fixing F1. I think we've got uh, five, 10 minutes left, and then we're going to do another meet the panel for you and uh, we did a, a twitter spaces matt and i did which i think we quite, went quite well matt i like that it's on it's a twitter thing where basically you and i can chat and then people can ask to also be a listener and talk to us and we were asking people to suggest stuff it worked very well i liked it yeah especially the bit where you ran away at the end and left me to close everything down with no way to actually close it that was my favorite part. i might not have got all the technicals shaken out and that was actually part <laughs> of the reason i did that one low-key without telling anyone i just wanted to see if it worked but we'll do those publicly we're also going to do some patron only ones as well we have like a, a patron account 
that you can follow on Twitter and join us in the spaces. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can eventually use those for calling. So we'll, we'll keep doing those. Um, stay posted for information or, or why not go and uh, go and join us over at mistapex.net and you can see a link to our patron page. You can go straight to that if you want by clicking on patreon.com forward slash mistapex and, uh, and be a patron supporter and get involved in all the, the fun stuff we do there. So uh, next thing to change in f1 i'm looking around my panel to see who has won um let's go to brad what are you going to change about f1 okay so uh, i'm open to being shown why this doesn't work okay. but off the top of my head having thought about it for 24 hours <laughs> i would i would get rid of full safety cars um from a from a fairness point of view now i understand why we have or, or why we're told we have full safety car where the field is entirely bunched up in order to allow clearing up of incidents uh, to give the marshals the longest possible time without any cars in that area of the track. Um, so I, I understand that, but I have definitely seen other series where incidents happen and things need clearing up where safety cars don't exist. And um, the race is neutralized as if, as we have with the virtual safety car, everyone has to slow down to a speed at which they're not able to lose control. Um, and they have to just avoid the incident and just drive around it. You know, it's quite rare that there's a crash actually blocking all of the track that needs uh, a lot of tending to. In, and in which the case, drivers you'd are driving flag around. that anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I don't see why, in a lot of cases, we need to unfairly benefit some cars or penalise other cars when there's an option to to keep the gaps the same. Mm. Effectively. Like a, even indoor kart tracks where they have a button that they press when there's a yellow flag and all the carts drop to the same speed. We have, you know, it's virtual safety cars work. We've kind of, we've got this Delta thing nailed now. And even if you need a particular slow zone around the incident, that mini sector could be, could have a lower speed limit. And then the driver could get, uh, you know, could be allowed to use more speed in the next sector to then catch back up to the gap. Yeah. I'm sure this is technologically doable. So that that's my suggestion for, a rule I, I think we should change well i mean okay let's go to chester we've there's many ways to deal with uh, an incident I, I feel like we've had more safety cars in the last few years like i feel like we've had yeah entertainment based safety cars have increasingly come into play yeah exactly as what i'm gonna say it's like i think the um the race director for the past few years are like intentionally like having um standstill starts and safety cars just to get us get the audience hyped about the race and not really caring about like the fairness uh in the race so i think that's one of the reasons um even though like there there are definitely like technologies for for them to um put in place to to make sure it's all fair and same similar to the vsc but i think for the um for the entertainment prospect they will still try to to get as many as possible safety cars in there yeah so like matt they, they came up with this perfect solution with the vrs and then instantly realized well, safety car is more exciting well to an extent but let's consider that even with the virtual safety car people gain and lose time yeah, it's not. It's, they it don't maintain perfect distances. Yeah, but it, it's orders of magnitude more fair than completely bunching. You know, you could have someone who's almost an entire lap down, mm. and they then get to be right back on the on the 
back of the leaders if they're in second place, for yeah. example. So, Whereas virtual safety car, maybe they'll gain or lose a second here and there. Yeah, so like Imola, where Hamilton should have been just out of it completely, just by that slight quirk of staying on this, the same lap and then being the, the unlapping yourself. Like if, if we could just get rid of that entirely, there's got to be a better way to solve that. But he was able to unlap himself completely, get to the back of the pack and then go and fight for, for points. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy about how to end a safety car, uh, Brad. But yeah, it's it definitely feels like overkill when it comes to, to safety cars. There's too many things going on. The unlapping yourselves, the being able to pit, the, the bunching up. The, the bunching up on its own would, would be enough. But there's a, there's a lot of odd rules around it as well. Yeah, I, I, that, that's my feeling. And I know people will actually have the opposite thoughts to me on this. Some people will want there to be more of this. The Daytona 24 hours finished today. And in that race, there are lots of safety cars, a, a real high number of safety cars. Any, you know, if someone spins, it's immediate full course caution. Mm. Everyone catches up and the classes are then allowed to pit. And what happens is you end up with cars who are several laps down still being in contention for the win at the end of a 24-hour race. Because every time there's a safety car, mm. someone at the front of that, uh, you know, who's a lap down but near the front gets to unlap themselves and get back on the pack. And in fact, a car that was fighting for the win in the final few minutes was two laps down when I went to sleep last night. Um, and, you know, they get that back purely from the safety car. But I don't like that. I don't think that's very pure. I don't think that's very fair. I don't think you should be able to get those laps back. So for entertainment, some people might like it, but it actually diminishes my entertainment. So the, the the time I saw, oh, this is going too far, was when they started talking about instead of a, a normal safety car restart, they would grid up after a safety car. And that's when you got going, oh, my goodness. Not only do they just want more safety cars and we're doing more competition safety cars, but also they want to manufacture a standing start when normal restarts are, are fine. They're broadly fine. I mean, they're safe you still get a chance to attack and defend, but no, they wanted the, the carbon fiber zone again of the standing start. And then they realized that that's a bit of a faff getting people to grid up, knowing exactly where you're going to grid up. There was problems with that. And then that's where we started getting the, well, we'll just, we'll just red flag it. We'll just red flag it. And then we get to to start again. And, uh, and it's gone from, it's gone from rugby to NFL and uh, no one will get that reference on either side of the pond, but it's gone from, a flowing game to a stop-start game. I think that might be the future. Well, I would actually suggest that from a safety point of view, what happened in Mugello is a very good argument for not having the safety car and the rolling restart the way it is. I think you're better off either with a virtual... That was when, remember, the, the cars were letting two big gaps and they were speeding up and then like seven cars smashed into each other at full speed. Oh, because one yeah. person had to slow down because the race hadn't actually restarted. That yet. was last year. Uh, uh, 2020. Ago, that was 2020. Yeah. 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 Um, so from that point of view, I think Brad has, you have a real point. Uh, I think the issue that's immediately going to come up and, and relative to sports cars is that the Formula One cars just don't like to be driven that slowly. If you do need to bunch the cars up, then you're going to have to red flag the race and bring them in and do a standing start. Okay, uh, we're at the end of the news. We are going to do some meet the panel. But before we go, I want you to go and follow Chester on social media. Where should we send people, Chester? Um, just follow the podcast. It's called Fangcheng Shi Mantan, if you speak or listen to Mandarin podcasts. Okay. So give us a follow, um, subscribe, and maybe a five-star review. Just like, just give Mr. Apex a five-star review as well. 
Oh, okay. That was very magnanimous of you, but we'll we'll try and get a link in, in the show yep. notes so any Mandarin speakers can go and check you out. And you're on Twitter as well, Chester? Um, yeah, but I don't really post anything, so no, um, I, don't, I don't see a point following me on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Okay, we'll just give him a vanity follow, guys, anyway. Search for Chester yeah. on there. We'll put a link in the show notes and uh, do follow Brad as well. Brad, are you still still on Twitter? you still doing Twitter and stuff? You... Yeah, occasionally. I'm I'm looking forward to um to building my following more in the coming season, comment commenting on the new cars and, and all that kind of thing. So I'll be giving lots of opinions in the next couple of months before the season starts. Go and follow Brad at Bradley Philpot. I thought you were going for Brad these days to be more cool and young sounding. Yeah, so I've changed the the name that gets displayed oh, to, to Brad Philpot, but Twitter won't let me change the actual handle, I don't think so. It's at Bradley Philpot. And Brad Philpott on YouTube, if you want to check out some, if you want to learn how to drive the Nurburgring, for example. There's lots of good content on there. And actually, Brad, I'm hoping is going to coach my Missed Apex team, who's entering your Nordschleife iRacing competition on March 12th. Yeah, well remembered. Yeah, 12 hours of the Nurburgring on March the 12th. Yeah, we've got getting on for 60 teams entered now. Not quite, we're about 55. And, um, and you guys make up four or five of those teams. We've got nine, Brad. Don't, wow, don't underplay it. We are entering the amateur phase like a uh, the amateur class, like a sledgehammer. And by that, I mean we're going to be breaking the barriers and causing... We'll, we'll test your safety car theory. I think we're going to make it so you have to throw some uh, some safety cars. And you can test yourself against Brad as well, because I'm really hoping you're going to come karting with us on April 30th as well. Yep, I definitely am. And case in point, there are no safety cars at the Nürburgring Nordschleife. All localised, um, wow. neutralised zones. All right. No, that's actually pretty surprising. Uh, do come, do come and join Brad, and I'm hoping Matt will fly over and the likes of Catman and Kyle and Alex Van Jean. Uh, come and race with us in Suffolk. Send me an email. I'm, I'm so close to booking it. Just send me an email uh, to spanners at mistapex.net with the subject line karting, and just say like oh, I'm interested, and uh, and I want I want like thirty or forty of those in my inbox tomorrow afternoon, and I'll, and I'll go ahead and book that. Uh, follow Matt at MattPT55 and Matt Trumpets on Facebook. And you don't have to mouth it. The reason I'm going to you now is so that we can play the game. Comment of the week. I hadn't forgotten. I was doing the whole thing. We're doing Meet the Panel in a minute. We're doing Comment of the Week now. Chester, you're the judge, so make sure you're listening in. Matt, there have been comments in our patron live chat. Tell us who the nominees are. All right, we have many nominees today, but I'm going to start with Stuart Neal. Haas do slow mo filming without a special camera. When we were that's, talking about filming days, of super course. mean, Chester. I would urge you away from that. That is super, that is, that's so mean. Go on. Our friend Mike Stoner says, Who likes crash test? Dummies. <laughs> Mike Stoner did the theme tune for this week so thank you very much i've been delighted we've had like six or seven entries uh so far and i'm gonna play the the ones i like the strongest ones and uh and we can all come and come together and pick one before the beginning of the season i get i get like 10 votes though uh next matt uh, i think we're gonna go with ej all the time you have to leave the pace talking about alonzo and his sports car tire experience okay <laughs> Um, and we have two more to go. We have Maria Ferrari, uh, Maria Kleros. I apologize. Ferrari is like Cruella de Vil, but you have no story without her. 
I don't like the I don't like the oh they need them. But if they're here, if they are, F one would survive without Ferrari. But if they're here, they may as well participate up the front instead of mucking up the midfield. And last but certainly not least, we have Daz the Gardener with the almost unanswerable question of what is the speed at which Mazapan can't lose control? <laughs> hey, maybe he is just pushing to the limits where other drivers aren't. Chester, do we have a winner? Uh, I guess I have to give to Mike Stoner, who likes crash test dummies. <laughs> Comment of the week. Brilliant. Go and, uh, go, go and follow my panel, please, today. And all the links we've talked about to Chester's podcast, to everyone's social media, is in the show notes below, as well as a link to go and support us at patreon.com forward slash Mistapex, be a patron. Come and hang out with us in our Slack group. Get the extra content that's going to start uh, probably in late February onwards. We're going to have two patron shows a week. Join in our spaces and we'll have lots of live stream stuff as well. And you'll be the first to know about Mist Apex events. Now, where we're going next is into my shed where I want you to meet my panel on a more individual basis. I put it at the end of the shows because we might stray away from Formula One almost immediately so i've sat down with my crew one-on-one got personal and just a bit nosy and then the next one is coming up now introducing one of our oldest missed apex panelists but also one of the youngest missed apex panelists don't worry it will make sense it's chris stevens hello chris hey spanners i forget even though you're teeny tiny chris stevens you're so desperately young how old are you 24 Oh, is it really? That's not that yeah. young anymore. Okay. But when it, it, yeah. it was like 18 was when it? I started this, yeah. Oh, really? really. So when I, when I met you at first, you were 18, you were working in retail, and you were blogging. You were doing Formula One blogs. Yeah, and I think at that point, I just started venturing into Formula E as well. Yeah. So doing some actual like, on-site stuff. And what impressed me was you were a very good writer, but not in a kind of self-indulgent way. You weren't saying, I have considered motorsport and the way it flutters through my soul. You weren't doing any of that. You were really getting down to these things happened. These are the things that are important and that you should pay attention to. And, you know, and as a as a fan reading your stuff, I always felt like very zoned into what was going on. No wasted words. And I just thought you were an excellent journalist, basically. Oh, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. I, obviously, I was very lucky to have some very good training from Autosport at the oh, time. This is when yes. they were still running the Autosport Academy now, and yes. bringing in very young people. You were an Autosport junior. Now, that's a really interesting thing because, uh, yeah, I remember seeing you running around the Autosport event they have in the NEC Birmingham. What was that like, the experience of being an Autosport junior? It's really, it's a, it's a great thing that they did. And I certainly wouldn't be the writer I am uh, now or the indeed the person I am now without that experience I was given quite a, an important role in their national um, side of things you know it's where they, they put the juniors on the national side it's where you learn the craft basically on a yeah. sort of smaller scale but they gave me the 750 motor club in yes. my first year and in terms of national racing that was a really big um, gig and they would never really normally give it to somebody of of with the experience i had at the time and at my age as well um i think i was 17 or 18 when i started doing it 
And so, and I, I think in a way, I, I may have been too young looking back on it because I definitely didn't utilize the tools I had available to me, which is easy to look back at, at mm. now and say, yeah, I could have done um, a bit better. But um, I, I think it was certainly career changer because it's like it's like a stamp of approval you know it was like yeah autosport like me so everyone likes you <laughs> yeah well actually do uh, your maths is wrong you were 17 when you first started doing stuff with missed apex podcast oh wow yeah because i remember you getting accepted to the autosport junior uh, program but i i don't know what was it what was it like in those early days jumping on board because when i said you were one of our oldest youngest panelists actually I'm trying to think of any of the panel that were on before you. It's only Matt and Chris Catman Turner. Yeah. And then you, you're the next longest serving mapper. Yeah, proper proper OG <laughs> mapper. Because uh, in those times as well, I was producing some stuff as yeah. well. Um, yeah, which we, we, you don't bother your ass anymore. No, downscaled a little <laughs> bit since then. But like, I stood in for you a couple of times on, yes. the, on the main show. Yeah, and I forget. Uh, yeah, look, look, this is one of the strengths of Missed Apex podcast. I've always felt like, you know, we have a rotating panel. So we can have someone drop out and have someone come back in. And actually, Matt has been so steady for the last couple of years that people forget probably that you were standing mm. in as the the second chair. You were the Matt Trumpets on many occasions. Yeah, um, I, I think we can thank COVID a little bit for his steadiness, yeah. um, unfortunately. Um, and uh, he's just, yeah, he's become just part of the stable of now. Course, he's just yeah. part of the furniture. <laughs> um, and I, I love what he does. And I, I loved doing the role that he uh, does as well. And obviously I'm, I'm always so keen to contribute more um, to the show i'm really looking forward to sunday when we get to do our um season review um i okay, may have so taken you've the just episode com- a little you've bit completely there. given away that we have recorded this far far oh, in the past no. before we even did our 2021 season review but yeah you were you were always uh ready to step into to match shoes to fill in and the reason i like going to you is you just you have a, a skill for having your your finger on the pulse of 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 mm. motorsport news in general you, you're kind of encyclopedic, a little bit like uh, Catman, and and I can go to you on any topic, especially with drivers and their junior programs as well, because you're following uh, probably a broader stream of uh, of of motorsport than me, who tends to focus in very much on on F1. Well, it's kind of part of the job, especially when I was a journalist, and I think even more now that I'm in PR, you you have to have a at least a general idea of what's happening in most disciplines um i do have a you know a a gap in the knowledge um everyone does like rallying if you ask me what on earth is happening in in rallying i couldn't (laughs) possibly tell you um but it's about keeping on top of not just what's happening in formula one what's happening in the junior formula what's happening in the world endurance championship and sports car racing in in general because it has a huge impact on the rest of motorsport and you know, my job in PR at the minute, we work in single-seaters, we work in endurance, we work in Formula E, we work in so many different disciplines. You have to know yeah. what you're talking about. And the, the the limit, it doesn't just stop at, oh, this is who's winning races and this is who's doing well. The sheer level of knowledge at a political level that yeah. you, you have to have mm. is really, really important because motorsport is a sport for two hours, maybe on a, on a Sunday afternoon. The rest of the time, it is politics. 
Yeah, and a lot of the time when we're having conversations, that politics and that knowledge helps you put things into context. And actually, mm. for someone so little and tiny and young like you, you do give us a lot of context, which is why I'm always um, happy for you to, to play the Matt role. And, and actually, with Matt, I do have to bully him occasionally to take holiday because he, he is that passionate. He, he loves being on this Apex so much and does a lot of the the prep and the production as well. Uh, but yeah, I have to like literally, like I have to dob him in on his wife and like say, I've told Matt he can have that that week off to go and do that thing. And um, But your PR schedule hasn't been the best for us. I'm hoping that in 2022, you will be able to jump in because like Matt, I can just bounce anything off you and I know it's going to come back. Yeah, 2022 is going to be quite a big year for me. Um, the, I've got a big shift going on that oh, hopefully yeah. I can talk more about at a later date. Um, but uh, I, I do hope it means I have some more time for, for this kind of thing. <laughs> it had better because uh, I always threaten Matt when he's like going on about tires or whatever or like engine <laughs> yeah. modes. I'm like, okay, do you know what? I could replace you with Chris or Kyle at a moment's notice. But let's um, let's talk more about Chris the person. Things I like about you. No, let's start with things I dislike okay. about you. Uh, you are far too tactile. <laughs> you know, I'm a very hands-off kind of person, but you always come in for a big hug, and that yeah. makes me incredibly uncomfortable, but also loved. I'm a hugger. I, I can't <laughs> help it. Uh, but you are you are a very uh, jolly person. Whenever we have socialised, you always throw yourself into those events, especially the Mr. Apex karting events. I, I just love seeing you grow into the character of Mr. Mr. Apex comms. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Honestly... The one we did at Buckmore Park in 2019, that was a highlight of my year. Oh, that was the last one. Oh, that was the latest one. I've you tried. Mm. At, at some point, we were talking about doing four of those in a year, like yeah. one per I sort of I still want to do it. I still want to uh, do it. Well, we did do three yeah. in 2019, to be fair. We did three. We, including the esports thing as well. No, no, we did, we did three karting events. We may have only had commentary for two of them. But yeah, that was the plan. And in 2020, I had to cancel two. Because everyone yeah. was like, oh, COVID, yeah, that'll, that'll pass. So let's book <laughs> another one. Then, yeah, and then I, um, it was so difficult issuing refunds for the second one that it put me off booking any again, which was probably uh, the right idea. But, yeah, I mean, you are a proper fixture of those events because you're voicing them. So I, I think a lot of people, when they think of the Miss Apex karting, it's your voice that is, like, you know, ringing around in their memory. Yeah, I, I hope so. I really enjoy doing them. And uh, uh, again, this is uh, just a, a, a an effect of the experience you have. When I was doing 750 Motor Club stuff with Autosport, I got to watch one of the best commentators at work. Um, it's, it's one thing to listen to a commentator. It's one thing to actually watch them do the job because yeah. what you don't see behind the mic is them flicking between notes, <laughs> looking at one screen, looking at the other, yeah. especially with like, you know, big things where you can't memorize, memorize 150 names. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to, uh, to, to Jonathan Simon, uh, doing a similar thing like this. Obviously he's been doing some super cup and some esports stuff. And, and his big thing was, I wish people could see the work behind mm. what's coming across on the mic. Yeah. It's a lot of research as well before the fact. And, you know, maybe during the Mist Apex um, iRacing F3 championship um, that we do, you can sometimes hear me ruffle my, my notes a little bit and scrunching up little bits of paper. Yeah, and we um, put a lot of effort in, you know, uh, our video guy puts together like track guides and livery guides and all these kind of things for the commentators uh, to use. Um, so that was that was meant to be things I don't like about Chris. 
fine where <laughs> it, it descended into compliments. But uh, something I do really, really admire about you is watching you from a, a kid working in retail to eat food and then really making that kind of bold move. Well, you, it was a steady couple of years of really pushing to do autosport, journalism, blogging, and then finally just to make that that leap into PR and and you are you're living your your dream basically you are working yeah. and living and breathing motorsport it's very surreal it's all i've ever wanted since i was like 13 uh, years old and i became so enamored with with motor racing i knew i i had to build my career around it cuz it was such a significant part of my life yeah i'm so lucky to have actually been able to do that cuz i'm not good at anything else like i don't really have skills outside of motor racing no you're not attractive or funny you know you're not fast in a car you know so you know but uh, what about your day-to-day now i mean you you work closely with a lot of professional drivers that i'm not asking you to name names but drivers we've all heard of you know been in and around paddocks especially particularly in in formula e and formula two in Mm -hmm. f2 that's that's got to be so cool to have your finger on the pulse right there yeah the formula one was really big that was when i was a journalist and I was at one point I was doing about half the races because that's all the budget I could really, you know, afford. Mm. I, I wasn't. Wait, know, wait, wait. So you had to you had to finance your own trips yeah. to Formula E. So every flight, every hotel, every meal was all coming out of my own pocket that you'd paid for by selling cheap fashion items. Yeah, to exactly. people. Yeah, by working at uh, Top Man, it was and yeah. the occasional shift at a Top Shop. Yeah, and see when you uh, when you read a lot of those reports and blogs from motorsport events, that's worth remembering that some people are paying for that from like wait waiter money or waitress money. Yeah, when when you get a really good story, um, the the Albon thing really springs to mind because yeah, uh, it was um, it was when Albon was supposed to be driving in Formula E. We're there at the first day of testing, and he hasn't driven the car at all. And then suddenly, it's oh, because he's going to Toro Rosso to go and do um, <laughs> Formula One, and that is a classic thing of you need to be on site to pick up the information and to to create a cohesive opinion on things that are happening. And so, when you eventually write your article about that, no one sees the blood, sweat, and tears that you <laughs> yeah, put in that just to it. be in that place at that time because i'd probably saved up so much money for months and tried to pick up extra shifts wherever possible at a job i really really didn't like anyone who's worked in retail knows Mm. it can be really horrible and uh, mine was was no exception i'm not looking for sympathy um but it's just a fact (laughs) you know is um i'm really glad i'm not working in retail now um during you know covid times um that's like a whole nother level of of difficult in a way i had it pretty easy uh and um the 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 stuff in working in the paddocks come come down a little bit since i Mm. I moved into pr but in a way that was a bit of a relief because (laughs) i was um kind of overworking myself a lot and suddenly just doing things okay i can relax a little bit now was was a big relief Uh, well this is it a lot of people who chase those kind of dreams end up working essentially two jobs and Mm. suffering a financial penalty which is why so often the people in the coveted positions are people of means and privilege because they can afford to a not earn money Mm. b pay for the flights and accommodation and such like whereas for someone like you to do it 
you had to really sell your soul for a very small amount of money, which you instantly gave up to to go and follow motorsport around the world, Uh, which is why I very much admire you and which is why I get very upset when some established journalists say, well, you (laughs) just have to get out there and do it because Mm. it's it's not so easy. You have to push yourself to breaking point. And and even then, even then... There was there was people leapfrogging you all the time for the for the top positions. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess you you could say that that mm. would be a way of putting it. Um, <laughs> the correct exact way of putting it. Yeah. that happened. Well, I got really lucky with Formula E, though. To be fair, like the fact that something just kind of popped into existence and was just desperate for attention, really, and I gave it to them. Mm. So. I was able to sort of work my way in at quite an early stage to the point, you know, a point where not a lot of people were interested um, in it. And so, yeah, putting my flag in there quite early was a a big advantage because they remember things like that. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, had you not done all that, you you wouldn't necessarily be where you are now, having a proper career, making your way in PR. Before we go, tell me some tell me some things about your job that other people might not necessarily understand. Because as far as I'm concerned, your job in PR is occasionally tweeting things, which doesn't seem so hard. <laughs> what are some PR misconceptions? Yeah, so, I th- well, I think one big misconception about PR is that we're always here to hide the truth, um, mm-hmm. which is which is not always the case. That yeah, we're here to put right. a positive spin on things. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, we are the ones connecting the team and the and the drivers or a championship to the media and to the fans and trying to communicate the, the best things in, in a really nice fun uh, way, because the, the, the access to, to the main characters in motorsport is so limited because when you see them on TV, we, we have things like the grid walk, which is amazing, but then that lasts for 10 minutes. And then after that, they're, faces are covered up by their helmets they're cocooned in a carbon fiber shell and then they go around in circles for two hours where do you see the drivers at any point that for me is is a really big part of what i want to try and do in pr which is just get access to to people who don't otherwise have it and when you see things like mazepin and his door joke with gunter steiner do do you do not asking you to comment on that particular exact pr thing but you must see these pr things all the time where you go oh come on guys that's that's lame or ah i wish i'd have thought of that oh more more often than not it's the latter (laughs) you're always going like man that's a really good off the top of your head off the top of your head can you think of just like a really good motorsport pr move where you've gone oh those guys well done oh man there's there's so many i mean i think Honestly, it, this is probably a bit of a cop-out, but the Drive to Survive thing is the best yeah. thing that Formula One has done other than creating a video game. Mm. But, but no, do you know what? It'd be even better than that. But, do you know what? Even the esports thing as well in Formula One is amazing because both of those things just opened up Formula One to an entirely new audience. And for me, Netflix and the video game are Formula One's two biggest assets right now in terms of audience generation. Yeah. So the last question I guess would be you're kind of like the the guy in the other room. Your your driver is there and the press are going to speak to him and you're like okay Derek listen whatever you do 
don't call the stewards cheats. Whatever you do, don't call your rival uh, a potential murderer. And then they go out there and they say, the stewards are cheats and my rival is probably a murderer. Oh, God. What are drivers like to work with? Well, there's a bit of a mix. Really. <laughs> I bet there is. <laughs> There, there is a bit of a mix. Even, but do you know what? Even the the ones that are really difficult to work with, and they get a good result, you're still really happy for them. Um, it's amazing how motorsport can um, just the, the the. I know it's a cliche, but the highs and lows are, are ridiculous. Um, I had a, a a driver in a team this year who'd had a particularly difficult season, and they recently uh, won their first race of the season. And there I am dancing around the, the living room in my uh, in my dressing gown because I was really happy for the guy. Um, but you do get a, a good mix. You get you get drivers who are sort of uncommunicative and you ask them to do something, they don't do it. And this is where the difference between working on site and working off site becomes really, really apparent. Because when you're working on site, you can argue with them a bit more. Okay. Um, when you are not working uh, on site, you don't get to build that rapport with them. You don't get to learn how to get them to do things you know you don't learn their specific sort of the little nuances and their little systems that you have to get them you know to get them to do and other drivers are just they're they're so well tuned either just quite naturally or because they've had quite extensive training yeah so you do you want george George russell or kimi raikkonen you know you want i guess you want george you want the russell yeah yeah. okay yeah oh yeah young attractive (laughs) and good good at pr and is you know any he's successful as well that's just a big bonus (laughs) and finally which driver was the biggest turnip no don't answer that instead i'll say thank you very much chris stevens follow him at chris on racing thanks for dropping into the shed and i assume because you know no other state of being you will continue with mist apex in 2022 oh yes Um, I'm so glad that you guys uh, get to hear a little from the panel. And Chris has been one of the the longest serving panelists here at Missed Apex Podcast. And I cannot stress to you how much commitment he put into building his motorsport career. Uh, you know, first pursuing journalism, uh, paying his own way around the world. And he would have been in company with people who had connections and resources. He had none of that stuff, and he just kept going and. Don't get me wrong, he drives me absolutely nuts because like all young people, he's kind of stupid. But uh, he has been someone we've we've all had a lot of admiration for and the whole Missed Apex team has just been rooting for him and we're so happy for him to finally find his feet in, in PR and do something where he can follow his passion. You know, I, I felt like a like an old brother to Chris, except I'm, I am actually too old. More like a, a handsome young uncle. But yeah, we all feel a lot of pride around Chris and I, I hope you enjoy his commentary at our motorsport events and his insight here at Missed Apex Podcast. That's all we have for you this week. We've got some exciting things and some exciting guests lined up for February. So I hope you'll tell your friends, send them to mistapex.net to check out all things Missed Apex and make sure you check out the show notes below for links to all the things that we've spoken about. I suspect... Our next show will be next Sunday and that it will be live. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex.
As a veteran, I live with health impacts from my service. VA healthcare means you're in 100% control of your own medical care, your own benefits, and it only takes minutes to set up. A veteran should enroll in VA healthcare because it ensures that they get quality, high-level care for the rest of their lives. My service was then. My benefits are now. Get what you earned. Visit choose.va.gov. Not all veterans are eligible for the type or amount of benefits mentioned here. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.